Shalom. Greetings. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. And that's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, today we are resuming our study in the book of Job and we're asking the hard question. Why do the godly suffer? Last time we read and we got... Uh, let me see here. Whose response was it? Eliphaz. It was Eliphaz's next response and then Job's reply back. Today we have Bildad, his second discourse, followed by Job's answer to him. Now Bildad is going to reprove Job. Now the first time that Bildad spoke, he kind of gave some advice, some encouragement, but not in this case. In this case, he's going to be a lot more cruel towards Job. He's going to rebuke him. He's going to declare that Job is ruined and things of that nature. He's going to talk about how ruin attends to the wicked. Like the wicked, they eventually go into snares. They eventually go into traps. And it's that general wisdom that we see in the Proverbs, right? Like they dig a pit, but they're going to fall in it themselves. So a lot of what Bildad is saying is true. Just like a lot of other things that Job's friends are saying, their their general knowledge, their general wisdom about God is true. They're just wrong about Job and why Job is receiving uh, this difficult circumstance. So let's start with Bildad, 21 verses. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read a short little commentary from Matthew Henry, and then we'll go into Job's response to Bildad's second discourse. And I pray that you'll be moved today, uh, that the Word of God will speak to you, strengthen you, and encourage you. So let's begin. King James Bible, Job chapter 18 and 19. Job 18 verse 1. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, How long will it be ere ye make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. Wherefore are we counted as beast? and reputed vile in your sight. He teareth himself in his anger. Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? And shall the rock be moved out of its place? Yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out, and the spark of the fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle, and his candle shall be put out with him. The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walketh upon a snare. The jinn shall make him by the heel, and the robber shall prevail against him. The snare is laid for him in the ground, and the trap for him in the way. Terror shall make him afraid on every side and shall drive him to his feet. His strength shall be hunger-bitten and destruction shall be ready at his side. 
It shall devour the strength of his skin. Even the firstborn of death shall devour his strength. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle. And it shall bring him to the king of terrors. It shall dwell in his tabernacle because it is none of his. Brimstone shall be scattered upon his habitation. His roots shall be dried up beneath and above shall his branch be cut off. His remembrance shall perish from the earth, and he shall have no name in the street. He shall be driven from the light into darkness and chased out of the world. He shall neither have son nor nephew among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. They that come after him shall be astonished at his day, as they went before were frightened. Surely such are the dwelling places of the wicked. And this is the place of him that knoweth not God. So there's Bildad's second discourse. And he's describing the wicked and how their end is destruction. The problem is is he's lumping Job in with that description. He's lumping Job in to the wicked and claiming that Job's inheritance will be the same. Here's a little paragraph from Matthew Henry about that, about uh, Bildad's response here. He says, Bildad describes the miserable condition of a wicked man, in which there is much certain truth. If we consider that a sinful condition is a sad condition, and that sin will be man's ruin if they do not repent. Though Bildad thought the application of it to Job was easy, yet it was not safe nor just. It is common for angry disputants to rank their opponents among God's enemies and to draw wrong conclusions from important truths. I really think that that sentence by Matthew Henry is brilliant. Let me read it again. It is common for angry disputants to rank their opponents among God's enemies and to draw wrong conclusions from important truths. The destruction of the wicked is foretold, foretold that destruction is represented under a similitude of a beast or a bird caught in a snare or a malefactor taken into custody. Satan, as he was a murderer, so he was a robber from the beginning. He, the tempter, lays snares for sinners wherever they go. If he makes them sinful like himself, he will make them miserable like himself. Satan hunts for precious life. In the transgression of an evil man, there is a snare for himself, and God is preparing for his destruction. See here how the sinner runs himself into the snare. So there's some thoughts from Matthew Henry. Again, good wisdom from Bildad, wrong application, right? Like these, these things are true, but they're not true about Job. You're making assumptions about Job, and you're wrong. Much we can learn from this. Let's look at Job's response. And Job's going to kind of complain about his friends being unkind, which is warranted. He's going to say that God, more or less, is the author of his affliction. Like, God is responsible for all these things that have happened to me. And in a sense, that is true. Maybe, you know, Satan did the thing, but God permitted 
Satan to do the thing. But then Job's going to talk a little bit of hope about the future, could be talking about the resurrection, that kind of thing. So that's what we're going to look at here. So let's read chapter 19, Job's fifth answer to his friend here. Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, How long will ye vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have reproached me. You are not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me? And be it intended that I have erred, my error remaineth with myself. If indeed you will magnify yourselves against me and plead against my reproach, know now that God hath covered, know now that God had overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. Behold, I cry out of wrong, but I am not heard. I cry aloud, but there is no judgment. He hath fenced up my way that I cannot pass, and hath set darkness in my paths. He hath stripped me of my glory, and taken the crown from my head. He hath destroyed me on every side, and I am gone, and my hope hath he removed like a tree. He hath also kindled his wrath against me, and counted me unto him as one of his enemies. His troops come together and rise up their way against me and encamp round about my tabernacle. He hath, put my, he hath put my brethren far from me, and my acquaintances are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. They that dwell in my house, and my maids count me for a stranger, I am an alien in their sight." I called my servant, and he gave me no answer. I entreated him with my mouth. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of my own body. Yea, young children despised me. I arose, and they spake against me. All my inward friends abhorred me, and they whom I loved have turned against me. My bone cleaveth to my skin, and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Have pity upon me, have pity upon me, O ye my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Please note, a few more verses left here, but it seems essentially what Job is saying is, God has become an enemy of mine. He is... He has destroyed me. He has destroyed my hope. He has kindled his wrath against me. And furthermore, everyone I know and love is now rejecting me. They treat me now as though I'm a stranger. And then Job is honest with his friends about the one thing he's the only thing he really wants from them. And we talked about this at the very, very beginning. When we first started to study somebody in this kind of suffering, all they they don't want empty words. What they want is empathy. They want you to understand. They want you to acknowledge that their circumstances are horrible and that it's not fair. What does Job say? He says, have pity upon me in verse 21. 
Have pity upon me, O ye friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Verse 22, Why do you persecute me as God and not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So there was a point um, a few weeks ago where the things we were reading, reading, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I made the comment. It's like it's almost like Job doesn't believe in a resurrection, but clearly he does. Because what he says here is, you know, he says, For my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And then he says, and though after my skin, worms destroy this body. So he's saying, after this body is decayed and destroyed, yet in my flesh shall I see God. So he he is, he's basically Job's longing for that day. It's like my life is destroyed. I'm ruined. I, he even says, I wish all the pages about me were already written. And in previous statements, he's made over and over how he wishes he was never born. Job is in such torment that he just he wants to no longer be alive. But he's still looking forward to the day where he'll see his Redeemer. As we just saw, let me read verse 25 and 26 again, and then we only have a couple more verses to finish up here. He says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. But ye should say, Why persecute we him, seeing the root of the matter is found in me? Be afraid of the sword, for wrath bringeth, bringeth the punishments of the sword that you may know that there is judgment. And that is the end of our study for this morning. Why do the godly suffer? Still don't have a clear answer to that, do we? We look at the world today and I keep waiting for these biblical truths to come to pass right over and over in the Proverbs and then just here in Bildad's discourse this idea that the wicked dig these ditches and they fall into it themselves that they they run into their own snares they run into their own traps and I'm just looking and and what I've observed with my own eyes since I've been doing this podcast so basically for the last decade or close to it I've just seen the wicked prosper in their wickedness not falling into snares not falling into traps not paying the price just endlessly getting away with evil mocking the inhabitants of the earth with their evil deeds and so admittedly I'm standing off to the side here going 
Lord. <laughs> How long? Job ends that statement. Job ends uh, verse 19 with that statement. Be afraid of the sword. Be afraid of the sword. Why? For wrath brings the punishments of the sword. Why? So that you know there is a judgment. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Maranatha. This world is crazy. I long for God's truth to not just be something we know in our hearts and minds, but something that we observe. The prophet Habakkuk makes the statement of, I've heard these things about you. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Like, I've heard of all these great feats that you've done. Let us see those in our day, Lord. And so I regurgitate that. Let us see that in our day. Hopefully, as we continue this study, we'll get a more clear answer to that difficult question. Why do the godly suffer? Next week, we'll be looking at Zophar's second discourse and then Job's answer to him. And we still have several chapters here of Job going back and forth with his friends. Uh, it's, a, it's a deep, long conversation filled with all sorts of biblical truths and things to think really deeply about. Job's not a book that you can study once, and it is some of the greatest poetry, if not the greatest poetry ever written. And it requires a lot of deep thought and study. And so I pray that that's, that you're being blessed by it as we work through it. That's all I have for you this morning. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers that are much, much needed. Thank you to those of you who support the podcast, the Patreon subscribers, those of you who support through PayPal, through the mail. You are the ones who make this possible week after week, month after month, year after year. So thank you for all of that. That's all I have for you this morning. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.